Hi, welcome to Math and Musings. I'm Mike O'Connell, creator of Math and Musings, and your host. Stay tuned for 15 minutes of science, politics, news, and opinion. In other words, Math and Musings. Today's date is Friday, January 7th, 2022, and this is broadcast number 32 of our show. This is also the premiere of season two of Math and Musings, and I actually have no idea how this is going to show up uh, when you know when you hit that little purple button on your phone where the podcasts come up or wherever you are listening to this. Because uh, Math and Musings, I should tell you, is available uh, wherever podcasts are sold. This particular program, this particular broadcast, is season two, episode one, and I don't know if it's going to show up as like two point one on your phone or is it does it just keep counting. And this is episode number 32. Now I'm going to have two things to keep track of every time at the top of the show. I'm going to have to say, well, this is overall, this is broadcast number, you know, today it's 32. It's also episode one of season two, the year 2022. That'll be easy to remember. Oh, that's going to become more and more difficult as we get into multiple decades of this program. But I'm already thinking too far ahead. Welcome, everyone, to our second season. Welcome to 2022. This is the first broadcast we've done this year. Last week, it was New Year's Eve, my favorite holiday, and I was talking about prior New Year's Eves. I've had talk about decades. I mean, I'm a person who can... I, I don't know if this is this is a, a blessing or a curse that I, I can remember small things that happened to me on particular days, like pretty much remember what I've done every day of my life, going back years and decades. I forget I forget a lot of stuff too, but I have a pretty good memory for uh, remembering things, either in minor details that occurred to me years and decades previous. I talked about some of my previous New Year's Eves, New Year's Eves of years past, and I sort of teased today's broadcast at the end of the last one saying that um, one of my traditional midnights uh, famously occurred in 2005. More on that later. I will say that this year, unbelievably, after saying that New Year's Eve is my favorite holiday, oh, you know, I've made a cottage industry of celebrating quote-unquote midnight. I'm doing the air quotes thing with my fingers. Midnight at various times of the day either for people who are too young or too old to stay up until midnight. I didn't do a single one. Over the past, really, I mean, 20 years I've been doing this, that um, whether for my own child, the last seven years, or about the past 20 years I've been doing it at uh, various places where uh, senior citizens, let's say, live, and are not able to stay up until midnight. So whether it's, you know, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock, I've been doing a fake midnight as a way to celebrate multiple times in a particular, uh, for a particular New Year's. And as I said, I've, I've made a cottage industry of that. I've, I've celebrated way more midnights at times of the day that aren't 12 o'clock than I have uh, at 12 o'clock. And this year, I had planned to do likewise. However, things being as they are and as they uh, tend to get canceled at the last moment, 
was unable to uh, avail myself of that opportunity. And uh, once unable to do my fake midnight in the afternoon uh, this past Friday. So the only midnight I experienced was, was the real one at 12 o'clock. And it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, I watched the ball drop on TV, one of those New Year's Eves. And also watched uh, one of my favorite movies and uh, appropriate to watch in the holiday because the plot of the movie involves New Year's Eve. The original Ocean's Eleven from 1960, which starred Frank Sinatra and his Rat Pack pals who were performing at the real-life Sands Hotel during the time of the filming and also appearing in this movie, part of which took place at the Sands Hotel and um, was <laughs> the hotel was robbed, not in real life, in the movie Danny Ocean... Frank Sinatra, and his paratrooper pals, uh, ex-military men, rob actually five Las Vegas casinos simultaneously at midnight on New Year's Eve. I hate to give away too much of the plot. And I, I've, I've watched this movie every New Year's Eve for the past more than 20 years now. And uh, if you're home at the right time, you can time this right. The midnight happens in the movie about an hour and a half in. So if you start watching about 10.30 or so, you, you know, you can, you can time it so that your midnight and the midnight in the movie occur at the same time. You, you know, you pause it and you watch the ball drop in New York City as well. You usually hook up something like that. And then, you know, you watch the last half hour of the movie. Depending on what I've been doing in life, I've either, you know, gotten home and watched the movie after. Or sometimes I had to watch the movie earlier in the day if I knew I wasn't going to be home at midnight. For example, in the year 2005 into 2006, if you know the O'Connell story, if you know anything about the O'Connell story, well, that's the one. That's the famous one. If you're, if you're trying to piece this together but, uh, but can't remember the dates, that's, that's the one. And the story, though, of the 2005 New Year's, if you can believe it, actually goes back to the fall of 2001. I was attending Binghamton University. An interesting time, no doubt, to be in college. Fall of 2001, to my students, it sounds like ancient history. Uh, but that was September 11th, of course. And uh, an interesting time to be on a college campus, especially a college campus in which 90% of the students were from New York City and Long Island and knew people who were either in the World Trade Center or worked nearby or lived nearby or had family nearby. And the campus was, um, I mean, that September 11th happened on a Tuesday, and, you know, we didn't have classes for the rest of the week. And then for some people, it was, um, it, it extended on beyond that. And there was sort of a... Uh, subdued rest of that semester. Although in one of my classes, some heated debates <laughs> still occurred on the actual class content. Most, uh, most conversations at that point, especially if you're a political science major like I was, centered around uh, September 11th. However, I was taking a class, uh, something like labor politics policy, something like that. And uh, this was fall 2001. One of the books that we read, assigned reading, 
was a book that was new, and it was um, written by Barbara Ehrenreich, author of the book Nickel and Dimed. Now, the book Nickel and Dimed, it, it's uh, was a, I'm just going to use the phrase, bestseller. You know, everything's a bestseller. Uh, I, I don't know, any, uh, never looked at any official rankings, but it, it was a popular book at the time and, and has been for the past 20 years. Made this person a lot of money. And uh, clever idea, I thought. Um, terrible execution, but clever idea that, um, I guess, uh, you know, a year or two previous to her putting the book together, Miss Ehrenreich went undercover. You might say she went undercover as an impoverished person. She posed as an impoverished person and it took a job at, I know one place she works with Walmart. She took a job as, as a, a maid, I think in a hotel. And um, I think she worked as a waitress also. There were several different examples. And uh, she tried to make ends meet, uh, showing up in you know a new town, trying to get a job, you know, minimum wage job. And trying to find an apartment and and live without the the comfort of her white collar salary, whatever she was doing. I, I she was a writer. I don't know where her stuff was appearing, but appearing. I imagine she's on salary somewhere, taking a sabbatical from that position. She writes this book, and it's not as though the first time uh, this was the first time anything like this had ever been done. I remember telling my grandmother about the story, and uh, she's like. Oh, you mean like Sullivan's Travels? To which I said, huh? So Sullivan's Travels is the name of a movie from 1941 in which uh, like hotshot Hollywood director who, who makes these fancy movies goes undercover and lives like the tramp lifestyle. And the movie is about a movie about him doing this. It was just interesting, like that—that that was her frame of reference. This movie from the 1940s. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's been around, and uh, I guess uh, other people have have done it. The trouble with with the book and and everyone I I took this class with was, um, well, at least their parents anyway, moderately well off, and um, mine mine were too. Uh, <laughs> solid middle class family from which I come. And we read this book, and the, oh, yeah, well, wouldn't, wouldn't, it wouldn't be terrible uh, to, to live in poverty. Isn't it just awful? Shouldn't we do something? And um, that was the, the consensus opinion. And uh, I, I wanted to read a little bit deeper than that. The idea being that, well, the person who's writing this book has a goal in mind, has an agenda, to use that word. She wants to make it seem difficult and and she does it's it's not surprising she goes into writing this book wanting to make living in poverty look difficult and she does like yeah it's it's hard to have a minimum wage job and try to uh, afford a an apartment and a car and whatever else you're getting in life well this person is, is not her real life she's writing a book and trying to make this look like this that's not what actual people do in that scenario if you're in that scenario you're not trying to be poor and write a book about it you're trying to move up like the reason you have that minimum wage job and the reason you're performing menial tasks and this is one of the things that stuck out for me in the book Aaron Reich's book says um, what what a great service that uh, minimum wage workers do 
for us and you know the, the rest of us, the middle class people. That, oh, they're 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 performing this great service for us. You know they they sacrifice themselves so that you can live better. To which I say hogwash. People who work minimum wage jobs don't do it so your life can be better. They do it so their lives can be better. They're going to take the best job that they can get. If it's only, you know, well, at the time it might have been, you know, seven or eight dollars an hour. Well, now maybe fifteen. And you know, depending on where you live, you're not doing it so that some other person can live better. You're doing it so that you can live better. That that that's your best opportunity. Take the best opportunity. Take the best job you can. Don't worry about making your book look good. Worry about making your life better. Isn't that what we all do? Whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, you're trying to make your life better. Everything you do in life is so that your life can be better. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if you embarked on such a journey? And that was my goal. I was going to write a response to the Aaron Wright book, undertaking the same premise I was going to impose as an impoverished person and write a book about trying to succeed as such. I wasn't going to try to write a book that made it look difficult. I was going to write a book about how one could succeed. Now, it was several years before I was able to do this. I had to disappear from society for a few months. And it all came together for me at the end of 2005 when I had lost the uh, election I was involved in. I was running for city council uh, in Binghamton. I was also helping out a friend of mine who was running for mayor at the time. Both of us happened to lose our elections. And at that point, I really, I had just gotten my master's degree. I had no school. I was comfortable leaving my uh, current minimum wage job and, and uh, my position of uh, jazz musician for hire. I was able to disappear from society for a few months, and I was going to start at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 2006. That story is for next time. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed today's broadcast of Math Musings, episode one of season two. You've been listening to Math and Musings. My name is Mike O'Connell. For more information or to contact, go to MikeOConnellJr.com.